This episode of the Skift podcast features a discussion from a recent online Skift event. To join us and learn more about future Skift events, visit live.skift.com. Hello, everybody. How you all doing? Thank you for joining us. Uh, and Shruti, thank you so much for, for being here with us today. We have a very exciting session. We're going to be talking with, with Sonder. Um, Shruti, thanks, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, so I guess I want to start I mean, tell me a little bit about yourself. Your title is SVP of Revenue, but you were just telling me that uh, your job's a lot more than just revenue, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, so revenue is a bit of a miscategorization around what I do. Um, I lead brand. Um, I lead the way that we uh, drive customers to find Sonder, things like sales and marketing and distribution channels. Um, I also lead how we optimize that demand, so revenue management and data science. And all of the fun and sexy stuff with ancillary revenue and thinking about new ways uh, to build a great guest experience for the guests, but monetize them. So anything from brand to data science, it's kind we of like it. all everything there. Well, we're going yeah. to spend 23 minutes on ancillaries, right? Or, sure, yeah, whatever yeah. you want. <laughs> just kidding. All right, well, well let, let's, let's just, I think we, many of us know what Saunders, is, but yeah. I, 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 even though we say that, I don't know if I really know what Saunders is, to be honest with you. Are you guys a hotel company? Are you a short-term rental company? Are you a tech company? What, what's what's Sonder? We're all of the above. Um, we really believe that we are the future of lodging, which is the name of this conference. Um, and our goal is to build a global hospitality brand, um, leveraging design and technology to build the hospitality company of the future um, and making stays accessible, accessible to all. A few quick stats about the business. Um, we're in 39 markets. Um, we have around 8,000 rooms, 250, uh, 250 properties. Um, and we're just really excited about what the future holds. So you got your start. I, I, I like one of the big themes for this conference has been like this great merge in how we're, we're a lodging industry, we're accommodation industry. Uh, but to use some of those old fashioned terms, we, you, you did get your start in the short term rental space. You've been adding hotels onto the platform. So yep. that's an interesting merger happening there. What's, uh, what's, what's going on with that? Has it been successful? People like it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, at our core, our belief is that we can transform hospitality by some core principles around design and technology. And the traveler of the future has many different um, desires in terms of how they travel. They might want to stay for long. They might want to be for, with family. They might want to stay for a short business trip. And we want to build product and guest experience that really um, reaches all of their needs. And so whether it's hotels or STR, um, we want to get into it all. It's interesting, though, because I do think that there's a bit of a false dichotomy there. And I think that we see people staying at our studio apartments for two days, and mm -hmm. they just care about a healthy lifestyle, and they want to um, you know, wash you know, not wash their laundry two days, probably they won't wash their laundry, but um, they, they care about um, eating healthy food and cooking at home. But then we see people, for example, we entertain a lot of entertainment groups, sports teams, um, uh, a lot of Broadway shows actually, and they stay at our hotels for two to three weeks on end. And so I think that the key here is to build experiences and product 
that really matches the needs of your customer segment. So even in our hotel product, yeah. um, we think about desks and we think about plugs yeah. and we think about how are you gonna live in light? How are you gonna actually live in the space? Um, because we see people staying for long and we see people staying for short. So I, you mentioned, the, I like that, the guests of the future. Yeah. We gotta hear about the guests of the future. Uh, is it literally the guests of the future in terms of Gen Z or is it a, a, a mindset change amongst kind of a more mature audience? Yeah, um, so when we think about our customer segment and uh, parlaying that into the guest of the future, um, it is someone that is definitely young. Um, it is someone that is urban, um, but they're also personality traits. Um, they're open, they're thoughtful. Um, they take agency on their life and they want to kind of self-curate their, their stay, they're more digitally enabled. Um, and I think that the pandemic accelerated that for other uh, demographics as well, but technology really underpins a lot of the desire of the, the generation um, that we believe is gonna travel and use our product. The other aspect is, um, and we all know some, I don't know if we have any Gen Zers here, we don't, we're all older, <laughs> but um, the Gen Zers of the future, you know, Gen Z care and millennials care a lot about design and they care a lot about how they appear to uh, their communities. You know, this is an age where social is, you know, a way of life. And so design is actually a huge part of how we think about building product. Um, I often compare us to fashion brands like Zara or Everlane because they've really um, commoditized what good looks like and I think this generation cares about those qualities. Does that generation have the, uh, I guess, traditionally I would say when I think of a design-led place, I think of also of a, a high-priced hotel. Yeah. So there's usually often a mix, Gen Z, millennial, even some millennials earlier on in their career, not so much from millennials, but Gen Z earlier on in their career, even still in college, not a lot of purchasing power. Design, typically uh, an expensive thing. In fact, I think you guys comp yourselves against upper upscale. Uh, does that create a mismatch there or? No, I mean, I think it's hard um, to actually figure out what our competitor is in this landscape. In terms of pricing, we're actually priced a lot cheaper than upper upscales, but um, we drive a, a, a lot of occupancy and that's how we're able to get um, rev pars that are higher than upper upscale um, in terms of kind of uh, RGI, which is the common metric in the industry. Um, but design doesn't have to be expensive. Um, design, you know, if you look at brands like Ikea or uh, Zara, you know, it is about taking really good design and curating it for the masses. And we found um, that good design doesn't have to be expensive, whether it's digital or physical. I also think that technology creates a lot of operating efficiencies, and so we get a lot of cost savings um, from that as well. All right, so I, we, we, that the acronym REVPAR just got dropped in the conversation. Yeah. I do want to revenue per available room, for, I think we all know that in this room, but let's make sure. <laughs> um, let's, talk, let's talk about that. Um, uh, Sonda reported earnings last night. Francis said, we're gonna get to like 147 REVPAR. You're not there today. Yeah. You're in charge of making that happen. Yes. You feel good about it? You're gonna hit it? I do, I do. I think that there's two uh, big drivers uh, that are gonna drive REVPAR this year. The first is the recovery. Um, there's supposed to be an increase in 39% in terms of upper upscale. 
uh, up or upscale in terms of a comp set, just to yeah. use as a comparison. Uh, but also, we've been outperforming the market. Um, in fact, in you know Q1, we were only down 15 percent uh, year on year, whereas the entire market was down more than 30 percent. And so, when I say year on year compared to 2019, yeah. pre-pandemic. Um, and so I think that there's a, a lot of tailwinds in just, you know, basic recovery. Um, but there's a lot of in initiatives that we're investing in as well, from better guest experience to tactical uh, revenue strategies, from pricing and getting bookings earlier in the booking flow, uh, earlier in the, in, in the life cycle, to attracting new segments of demand. We're really targeting digital nomads through marketing and merchandising, and we're attracting corporate travel, which is actually coming back right now that yeah. we never had before, um, to new ancillary ways. So we launched um, early check-in and late check-out and upgrades and starting to explore new, new ancillary services as well. So feel very confident about um, the RevPar story, which is pretty critical to understanding our paths for profitability, yeah. um, because you know you have to believe in a clearing RevPar to get good unit economics, but you also have to believe in growth as yeah. well to cover cover the fixed cost. That's a lot. That was a great answer. Yeah. Thank you for that, Shruti. It was a lot to unpack there. That's the whole whole rest of the conversation. Yeah. We'll unpack that. Um, I want to talk maybe a bit about, if you don't mind, going back some of your your pricing tactics, though. I think I. Uh, Again, Francis said that you guys, you know, shifted your pricing strategy to try and drive occupancy. Is that just like a fancy way of saying that you guys were cutting prices, or is there some some other way that you have of driving demand other than just the pricing tool? Yeah, I mean, no, there's a lot of ways that you have to drive demand. Um, pricing is kind of at the end once you bring everyone to the auction, okay, right? right? And so, uh, first and foremost, you have to build a brand that people love and identify and can comprehend. Then you have to tell that brand to your customer segments. And so, that can be corporate travelers, that could be leisure travelers, that could be digital nomad, that could be leisures. And then only can you decide and make pricing and revenue management decisions. Um, that said, we have innovated a lot. And I, I think that that's one of the areas, our revenue management software and the data science uh, behind it has been really robust. And we've actually approached the problem um, from first principles. And so without getting into the uh, hardcore math of it, I think there's been uh, uh, three innovations. Yeah. Um, the first is that we did a lot of elasticity studies. And elasticity is effectively the trade-off between occupancy and ADR. And we found that even with just a small markdown in price, I'm not talking 10, 20%, I'm talking yeah. percentage points, you can actually drive occupancy quite more effectively. So that trade-off um, is one to three effectively, which is very high. Um, the second thing is that once you can do that, um, what you can do if you have higher occupancy and you have terminal occupancy is you can start getting bookings earlier in um, the DBA window. DBA is days before arrival. And so instead of you know booking people 60 days before, there's travelers out there that want to book 90 days before. Now, you probably will follow up with saying, okay, well, high occupancy equals um, high checkout costs and there's higher variable costs. And that's true. Um, there are higher, higher variable costs. And granted, we're getting one third in terms of yeah. occupancy, two thirds in ADR. I'm getting quite technical here. No, no. Um, one third in occupancy, two thirds in ADR, but we're getting it at longer lengths of stay. And so we innovated on a full pattern length of stay pricing algorithm, which is a huge innovation. Um, for us in terms of being able to price a 30-night stay and a one-night stay in a contribution-optimal way. So uh, thank you for that, Trudy. I want to just like 
kind of pause on that for a second, maybe translate a little bit, because I think that was important. We got a little technical there, yeah. but I, I think it's a big deal that you're, you're driving length of stays. Like, I think we often just hand wave that word revenue management. We just say, oh, we, re we revenue managed it. Yeah. And it's like, what does it really mean? What are the decisions and how do you think smart about it? So, so thank you for sharing that with us. I, I appreciate it. Uh, one of the things we want to talk about, you're using that word contribution, is about profitability, about cash flow. Uh, I hate to bring it up, but, but Sonder reported earnings last night and the, the stock market reaction today and in the past three months hasn't been positive. And, yeah. and I think it very much has to do with your ability to generate uh, not just revenue uh, and rev par, but, but cash. So yeah. how do you think about that when you're driving these things? Uh, you know, do you feel good about your path to, to, to yeah. profitability? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I'll answer that in two parts. I think first is to understand that there is some crazy crazy stuff happening in the market right now. Um, most tech companies are down more than 50 to 60%. Yeah. And I think that's because there was probably some pump up in terms of overvaluations. Sure. But I don't know if these are like the fair prices of any of these businesses, you know. I got my Yahoo Finance alerts or Robinhood alerts today. It was like, everything's on a 52 week low. I don't look at my portfolio. It's because on there's sale, just right? something, yeah, everything is kind of not trading on fundamentals. There's just trading more from a technical perspective. But there still is a fundamental question I agree. about cash and so, flow. And that's, and that's what I'll answer. Uh, uh, second is that ultimately businesses need to be evaluated, not just by, you know, the sexiness of their technology or their guest experience or their brand, it's their free cash flow and their profitability margins. And so um, for us, you know, we're making steady improvement. And so Q1, we saw improvement on all key uh, uh, margin indicators or profitability indicators. And for us at Sonder, free cash flow is a rally cry. It's everything that we're focused on. And there's two things you have to believe. Uh, to believe that we'll get to profitability. And I kind of mentioned that. Yeah, you, you, I led the yeah, I, I, I got ahead it, of that. Um, I think first you have to believe in the unit economic story. And that has to really do with driving revenue per available room um, and really getting more demand at good prices. Um, if you believe in that, um, you know, that will flow through to uh, profitability and better unit economics. And honestly, we were really impaired on RevPAR over the last two years. You know, in 2019, we were doing 145 rev par, and this year I believe that we'll we'll do more. Can I can I just yeah, yeah. for the audience to say where do you stand on the unit economics today? Are are your when you forget your 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 backlog of supply and forget some of your overhead when you sell a room? Are you making a profit on it? Um, I can't speak to that yet, um, but you know I really believe we're on the path to making 20 yeah. to 30 percent in terms of contribution. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah on, uh, from a unit economics perspective. Um, and you have to believe that to yeah, believe in our totally. business. Um, and that all comes from the demand. Can you get customers at a good price um, in, in your units? The second thing you have to believe, though, is growth. Yeah. Um, and growth is effectively, you know, how many hotels do we have? How many STRs do we have? Um, what other asset classes are we getting into? Um, and that's important because unit economics, when you have high um, overhead or high fixed costs, and we're, there's a lot of R&D that we're investing in, is doesn't really matter if you don't have system size. Yeah. So you need scale as well. So these are the two kind of drivers, rev par and growth. To and because you're putting so much into your tech, you're putting so much into opening your properties and into your operational costs. The, as you grow your scale, and you, buy, you have, I think, like 
some huge amount, several thousand new units coming online in the yeah, next couple yeah. of years, Yeah, I would right? say I would say a lot of it is more into our technology. Our opening costs, our acquisition costs are actually... It's not, so it's not that. It's, it's not. Those aren't the biggest drivers. Can I answer you a question, I guess, about we're on the sort of topic of the economy, but like you deal a lot with landlords. You sign multi-year leases, you lease up whole buildings, or you have the hotel business now, but in your short-term rental business, yeah. you lease up whole floors or buildings. Um, Rents are rising. Rents are rising. Is that going to impact your cost, or is it even going to tell a landlord's going to say, "Actually, I'd rather rent this out in the apartment market"? Does that matter? Yeah. No, it's a good question. Um, so, first thing is just to clarify yeah. um, a, a bit about the brand. Um, we actually are primarily in full buildings now. So, both okay. multifamily and our hotels are full buildings. Um, we just have maybe a few uh, onesie twosies yeah, here, yeah. but uh, we're really looking more like a um, hospitality brand than than, than anything. Um, in terms of rising rents, um, we haven't seen a, a material impact in terms of our ability to negotiate on the supply side. And generally, when you're entering, and I don't want to drop this word, but if you're entering a potential recession, um, your actual ability to negotiate with landlords and hotel owners and developers improve. Um, that said, demand has been you know, at record levels as well. Yeah. And I believe in terms of um, if there's any increase in rent, it'll it'll get offset by by demand. And by demand, and so so this demand equation. What I mean, we, Q2 looking good. You happy the demand looks good? Yeah, it's looking good. All the all the leading indicators are suggesting that there is a snapback in travel, and I think you know it's a combination of everyone wants to just get out and have fun, um, but also there's a lot of initiatives, and we're not the company we were pre-pandemic. We've unlocked a lot of new customer segments from extended stay and digital nomads to corporate travel, um, and so Q2 we're expecting a 140% year-on-year growth. It's a big number. Yeah, it's a big number. Uh, can I, I mean, if I just push you on a little bit, Q3, Q4, I, a lot of people are saying the summer looks really, really good, and we know that. Yeah. Uh, do you think, you think the consumer is going to feel good in eight months from now? You know, I don't have a crystal ball. Yeah. Otherwise, I would, I know. you know, be Neither a hedge, fu hedge fund manager and make me, a lot more money. You and I both. <laughs> yeah, huh? Exactly. Um, but I'm optimistic, and, and I'm optimistic mostly in just Saunders' ability to pivot and um, shift if something else gets thrown at us. So speaking of a shift, corporate travel. Yeah. Whole new market for you guys. You're entering in a big way, uh, and you have some past experience in that. Tell us about Saunders' move into the corporate travel space. Yeah. So, you know, at our core, we're really trying to still target the same customer segment just for different travel needs. Got it. And I think that that's really important because we're not going to be the um, hospitality provider for you know the folks that love their Starwood points or have been in travel for like you know 30 mm -hmm. 40 years and our uh, global premiere on United but we are going to be the corporate travel company for the millennial or the Gen Z player and so um, we're seeing progress in many categories of corporate uh, corporate and business travel. Some of the lesser known um, categories are things like corporate housing. And okay. so we host a lot of interns from banks. Um, we host, uh, you know, uh, uh, folks from uh, who are staying for, you know, a couple months from Visa. 
Um, and so there's a lot of corporate housing and they actually, you know, are really great guests for us if they're staying for a month or two months because uh, we don't have high variable costs. And so we're able to, we're able to host them. Uh, well, we also have a lot of groups, and I mentioned some of those before. So yeah. entertainment; those are the fun ones. Those are the ones I get I get to name drop and and share because they're the, they're they're the, they're the cool ones. But um, lots of Broadway shows, lots of uh, sports teams, um, so lots of group travel. Um, and then we have the typical business transient segment. So um, we launched on the GDS. We have a lot of travel management companies. We try to focus more on the new age ones, things like Agencia and Trip Actions, because yeah. we connect more with our consumers. And then we grew our corporate base from 100 to 250 corporate accounts. But most of those are you know, tech companies filled with millennials and um, people that kind of design forward companies that really understand understand the Sonder brand. The one thing I'll share Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. is that What um, Broadway shows your favorite now? What <laughs> The one thing I'll share is that, you know, um, we don't have a programmatic loyalty uh, offering yet. It's something that we're, we're thinking about developing next year or beyond and, and really approaching that from first principles. But it's really interesting why this generation travels um, for, for, for business. One is they have to because, you know, they're told by you know their <laughs> employer. Um, but the other is that they, they derive value from different things. And one of the best quotes I heard is uh, from someone um, who was a millennial sharing that, you know, I could stay with my, my cap at maybe a Holiday Inn or a higher end Holiday Inn, but I got to stay at Sonder and I like got to Instagram it and share it with my friends. And so there's a really experiential value that our corporate travelers, travelers find. That's, that's, really in that's a, a very interesting point. And the experiential bit, People want to have that experiential stay while they're on a mandatory corporate trip is, yeah. is a very cool idea. Let's talk a bit about uh, performance marketing. That's a oh, let's do distribution it. strategy sort of stuff. You guys traditionally didn't really do it, but I think in the last year or so, you've really started to step into it. How's it paying off for you? Uh, and what channels are you using? Is it OTAs? Is it Google? Uh, yeah. Is it something else? What, what yeah. are you looking at? Instagram? Yeah, it's, it's all of the above. We have a very omni-channel approach to distribution, um, whether it's sales, whether it's third-party distribution, things like um, Airbnb and Booking.com, to things like Meta, which is a performance uh, marketing channel, things like Google Hotel Ads, to TripAdvisor, to Kayak. Um, to typical performance marketing, things yeah. like SEM and SEO, um, social is very yeah. big for us. And our overall approach is to target the right customer um, in the right space um, at the right cost. And so we put a lot of data around, you know, what is our cost per acquisition of a first-time user? And then what is their customer lifetime value after that? And what we found with performance marketing is that, um, you know, we can drive uh, really great customers to our properties at very reasonable uh, costs, um, and they get to book directly. And when they book directly, uh, they tend to be more loyal. And so performance marketing um, is something that uh, we are investing in, and we're investing in it with the effort of you know, becoming more profitable. So, yeah, and, and convert. So even though it might actually be more expensive than say like an OTA, you like it because you can potentially own the customer. Um, I think it's both. Um, first of all, performance marketing doesn't have to be more expensive than the OTAs. Okay, okay? so OTAs generally, um, you know, Joe Schmo on Airbnb will probably pay something between 14 or 15 percent in terms mm -hmm. of commission. Same with booking and Expedia. And so there are channels in performance marketing that you can get things 
much cheaper than that. Um, and so uh, both in terms of first uh, you know, purchaser acquisition optimization, it can be better, um, but then also with loyalty, it can be better. Okay, great. Uh, I think I have a final question for you and we'll wrap up. Uh, I wanna know, it's kind of a, what are, you, what are like the biggest challenges that you see for Sandra and what are you most excited about in terms of your growth story to come? Yeah, I mean, I think um, in terms of the things that I'm most excited about, um, it comes really down to our mission. Um, I think we have um, a huge vision ahead of us to transform hospitality through design and technology. Um, when you think about technology, it's both the operating system but the guest experience. And so that is a five to 10 year to 15 year hustle, man. And I'm really excited. Um, for what we're going to uh, uh, uncover and what we're going to um, introduce to the industry. I think in terms of um, you know, our ability to get there, um, we have a good runway, the market opportunity is big, um, but we have to prove in terms of our financial performance. And so that's a really big priority for us in terms of 2022, expecting 100, 110% year on year growth. So excited about really proving to the market and to all of you guys that um, Sonder, Sonder is here to stay and, and really innovate. Awesome. Can't wait to see you, Trudy. Yeah. Big job ahead of you. I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys.